pictures of looking forward for those people who live on those texts that we read. Um, and so we read our first reading was Isaiah 53, which was a text that was written about 700 years before Jesus. And we see it fulfilled in John chapter 1, verses 10 to 11, and in other texts as well. We see even in Psalm chapter 41 and verse 9, a text that was written 1,015 years before Jesus was born. We see that being fulfilled in Mark chapter 14, which speaks about the betrayal that Jesus experienced from someone who had come to be so close. And then there's also the well-known one from Zechariah chapter 11. We see that having been fulfilled in Matthew chapter 26. Zechariah, a text that was written also 600 years before Jesus was born. And then there was Psalm 22 that Nina and Sarah read for us. And we'll take just a short snippet this morning, um, a short look at one of the aspects that Psalm chapter 22 brings to us. And what we'll see there, I hope, is even how in, in this psalm, God speaks to us and communicates to us about the significance of the sacrifice of Christ through a picture that gets brought to us in nature. Psalm chapter, Psalm 22 at least, is sometimes called the Psalm of the Cross. Um, it was written about 1,000 years before Jesus, and it tells us about the suffering and the death of Christ the Messiah upon the cross. You will notice as you read the first part of the psalm, we don't have all of it up there, we have about the first half, there are about 31 verses in Psalm chapter 22, it's not into the We notice as we read the first few verses there that it, it contains lament. It is written as someone who is experiencing pain, someone who is experiencing suffering. And we see here a prophetic description of Jesus' suffering on the cross. Verse 1 there says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And those exact lines appear in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 27 and Mark chapter 15, where Jesus cried out those very words on the cross. David, the writer of this psalm, then continues to question God about why he is left feeling abandoned on the cross. But then in verse 6 of Psalm 22, the writer says something different. He says something that seems almost odd. He says, but I am a worm and no man. What does the writer mean by saying, I am but a worm? In these prophetic words that describe for us the suffering that Jesus experienced on our behalf on the cross. Now, as we try to understand this and how it relates to Jesus, I think it's, it's helpful to remind ourselves that the original Bible manuscripts 
of the Old Testament and Psalms were written in the Hebrew language. And it is only much, much later that they were translated into different languages, such as the English that we use. And so if we would want to better understand what David meant when he described Christ there as a worm, it's helpful for us to go back to the language that he actually used when he made that description. Now, usually in the Bible, the Hebrew word for worm is rima, which means a maggot. But there's another form of the word that holds within it a different meaning. And here we see Job using both forms of the word in Job chapter 25, verses 5 and 6. That carries a different description to the meaning of that word, a different essence. And in the second time we see there at the top, Job uses um, this word again. But the second time he uses the word, the word there is tola'at rather than rima. Which is the name for the crimson worm or the scarlet worm, sometimes also called the kernis a very particular kind of insect. And this is the word that gets used in Psalm chapter 22 and verse 6. So Psalm chapter 22 verse 6 more specifically then reads, but I am a crimson worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. Now, crimson or scarlet, as we know, is a deep red color. Here is a picture of the worm that is being mentioned, the tola'at. Now, the, the tola'at worm, or its Latin name is Cocos illicis, is a species of insect that is common to the region of Israel and the Mediterranean and the Middle East. And it actually, to me, looks more like a grub than a worm. Um, and it's about the size of a pea, if not a little bit smaller than that. Now, because they don't look like a worm, sometimes they are mistaken for being part of the plant. And these particular insects might form little colonies where they would um, breed together and inhabit a particular space. I think this is one of those things where when the translation happens, something of the essence of the meaning of the word gets lost. Now, when these insects are collected and squashed, they produce this deep red substance that we call crimson. And the substance that they produced was used as a dye in coloring parts of the cover of the tabernacle, as well as the garments of the high priests. We see there the, the, the scarlet color there, that deep red color over the top of the tabernacle, which the Israelites would have carried through the desert. We see the color there on the side garments of the priests, that red color. And it was a high value dye that was used for trade in those times. In fact, the Romans even collected this dye as a means of a tithe or a payment to them. 
It's described for us in Exodus chapter 28 and in other texts as well. Now, when we begin to study the life cycle of this polaat, this crimson worm, we start to see, I think, very particular details about Jesus and his death begin to unfold for us. Now, when it is time for the female of this polaat to have babies or to reproduce, which she does only once in her lifetime, she finds the trunk of a tree or maybe even a wooden fence post or even a stick. And she then attaches her body to that wood and it makes this hard shell. And she attaches herself so well to this piece of wood that it is impossible to remove her from that piece of wood without actually killing her. So she cannot be removed. And then this polaat then lays her eggs underneath her body and this protective shell. And when the baby larvae hatch, they stay underneath this shell. And not only does the mother's body give protection for these babies, but it also provides them with food because as the babies feed on the living body of the mother, they are sustained. And so the mother gives her life for those who follow on after her. And then after a few days, when the young larvae grow to the point that they are able to take care of themselves, the mother dies. And as the, the mother, Tola'at, dies, she produces and oozes a crimson or a scarlet red dye which not only stains the wood that she is attached to, but also her young. And they are then colored this scarlet red for the rest of their lives. I think we start to see where this is leading us. And what is interesting about this red dye that is produced is that it also is a deterrent for predators. Predators are held at bay because of this red dye, this substance that this tolaat produces. And then after about three days, the dead mother tolaat loses her crimson color and turns into a white wax, which falls to the ground like snow. So let's recap. The mother Tola'at attaches herself to a tree to give birth to her offspring, after which it gives its life to ensure their survival. The baby insect larvae are then covered with this red crimson fluid of the mother. And then after this, the mother Tola'at then turns white as snow. So what did the writer of Psalm 22 mean by saying, I am but a worm? Now there might be different ideas about what God might have been inspiring him to say by using these words, 
but there appears to be a much deeper meaning here. It's very interesting that just like the Keramets, just like this Tola'at, Jesus sacrificed and gave up his life on a tree so that those who follow after him might be washed with this crimson blood and their sins cleaned white as snow. And this crimson color even keeps predators at bay. This is what Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18 says. He says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be white as snow. Jesus has died for us. We have gathered here today, this morning, to reflect on that fact. That we might live And what can we learn from this Psalm 22? Even this one line that we very often just step over as we read through this text. I think for me it shows us that generations before we were born, God had a plan of redemption for us. Long before you were even a thought in your parents' mind, Jesus had a plan for you. Secondly, I think we see the truth of God's promise in this. But if we walk in the light, as it says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, if we walk in the light and he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And thirdly, I think it is unavoidable that we see again the depth of the sacrifice that was made on our behalf by his son. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your love and the plan you have for all of mankind. From the beginning, you loved each of us so much that you sent your son to us. We thank you for his mercy. We thank you for the life Jesus led. And this morning we are deeply grateful for his sacrifice on the cross. And Lord, as we go into this weekend, help us remember with wonder and awe how Jesus suffered for us. How he paid the price. That was at such a high through the crown of thorns and scourging, and through the cross, Jesus carried our sins. We pray to remember to carry our cross and hear your call to follow you. May we never forget what Jesus did for us and help us to remember that. Like a tola'at to a tree, like a lamb to the slaughter, Clothed in humility and grace, Jesus willingly offered himself to death 
so that we might live lives that are reconciled to God. And so this morning, Lord, we are truly thankful for the extent of your love, stretched out on a cruel wooden cross. We come to you, Jesus, this morning again in repentance and reconciliation and forgiveness. Through the power of the cross, you have redeemed us. May we not dwell on our sufferings, but leave them at your feet, trusting that you know what is best for us. 